genuinely done a dirty against Lily Wilkinson. <laughs> At the podcast where we review books. Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adults, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, eat a strapsel. I was shouting about how JK Rowling is problematic before we started recording, and therefore I have had, I have a sore throat now. But it's okay because Aoife is actually going to do most of the talking today. Yeah, yeah, this week I'm the person who read a book, um, House Shakes. You good? Um, you know, I mean, my throat is sore. <laughs> because I yelled about JK Rowling. But my week has been good. I made some very important phone calls. I answered some very important emails. Hopefully I will have important news that's unrelated to to the pod. To give the pod listeners soon about my life. Adulthood really is like that. <laughs> yeah, adulthood is... Adulthood is a lot of answering emails. Or at least working. Yeah, it is a lot of working. Because outside of my work life, I get a lot of emails, but I mostly don't have to respond to them because they're things like 55% off in shoe. And I'm like, ooh, do I need new shoes? No. And I ignore it. Or free events in your area. And you're like, hmm, do I want to go out this weekend? No. Yeah, that is... Oh, God. Should I be doing more with Uh my life? You've got a podcast. That's true. That's not a thing a odd person ever said. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, for one, have never spoken about this podcast because, as we all know, the personalities of people who decide to start a podcast are always very quiet and demure. And, uh... <laughs> I was talking to someone at work recently um, who works in a different branch to me about how before they worked in the libraries they were like a full-time artist Mm -hmm. um and how they are trying to like do art on the side and also like sometimes during their lunch breaks and stuff and I was like yeah I find it really hard to do like my side thing during the lunch breaks because I just want to like sit down and rest but there's also like so little time in the life you just got to edit your podcast at some point and she was just like what and I was like oh I have a podcast let me tell you about it oh she was not interested (laughs) But she was a little because it's about books and we both work with books, but... Yeah. I I feel like everyone in my work is, like, properly dedicated to it. And, like, I'm properly dedicated to it, but they don't have many side projects. It tends to be the... I work with politicians and minor baby politicians and they let it consume their entire lives, social and personal and public and private. And then I'm like, I've got hobbies. I mean... That's fair, but also I also do that. So, I mean, yeah, I did obsessively follow the election that we just had, and now I am obsessively following the coalition building that's not going to happen, and I'm obsessively waiting for them to just all give in and have a second election. I hope that doesn't happen. Eh, there's pros and cons. We can can discuss it off air. Yeah, I was going to say, also it's, like, last time... It took until April. Yeah, it took 70 days to form the last government in Ireland. Which is like the second longest the EU has had, in, I think, in terms of states going without government. Which I heard today from someone who I work with who is also getting his master's in politics and social policy. Mm, very good. Yep. So you read a book this week. I did. I read a book. Um, as you can tell, this is a book podcast where we discuss books. My book is Australian by an Australian Mm -hmm. author and it is Scatterheart by Lily Wilkinson. We decided to go for Australian books because Australia's been having wildfires. It's on fire. It's on fire and when it stopped being on fire, it flooded. Oh, I wasn't aware of that part. Um, A large part of Sydney and the surrounding areas flooded after unexpectedly heavy storms and rainfall, which did put out a number of the fires. But then everything was also underwater, so Mm -hmm. it was like a pro-con, not great situation. And also, it's still on fire. Ah, yeah, (laughs) cool. Well, um, there is a fire mentioned in this book, kind of. Um, That's the tie-in. Yeah, there's a tie-in. There is, no, there's an Australian bushfire. Let me tell you about the author. Lily Wilkinson 
is an Australian. She mm -hmm. was born and raised in Melbourne in a house where her parents still live. She's an only child. Her mother was also a writer of children's books. Mm -hmm. In 2015, she completed a PhD in writing, which examined the influence of young adult fiction on the politicization of teenagers, which I think would be very, very interesting. I would actually love to read. I think that that PhD exists in many forms, but mostly in relation to like people who want to write about Harry Potter for their PhD. She was talking a lot about fantasy as a genre which spurred social activism. Yeah, I was actually, yeah, okay, cool. So, but before that, she wrote and published books, including this book, which was her second, published in 2007. What age was she when she published this book? Well, she was born in 1981 and it was published in 2007, so 26, 27? Oh, okay. It's because the, the fact that I know about her is that her first book she wrote when she was 14. So I thought maybe her second book would be close behind, but is there a delay in the publishing? No, she mentioned in her, like in a lot of the author bios of her hers, she says that she first got published in, when she was 11 for like something that she wrote for a magazine. But again, her mother was a children's writer. They um, had connections. Yeah, she also wrote a book as a teenager, but it never got published. Okay. It was, I think, at about 25, she published her first book. Okay, this cool. was when she was 26 or 27. And it won an IBI, which is the International Board of Books for Young People. She won the Enna Noel Award, which is an award for Australian children's literature. And yeah, it's called Scatterheart. It's based on, it's loosely interwoven with mm -hmm. a fairy tale mm -hmm. called East of the Sun and West of the Moon, which is one of the kind of foundational fairy tales. But it tells the story of Hannah Cheshire, who is a girl in 1814. She's Historical. 14, mm, she's 14 years old, mm -hmm. easily easy to remember. And she has been due to a lot of strange happenings she's become a convicted criminal who is on a prison ship being transported to australia um and is that where we start yeah we start she's in a holding cell cool the book is split into three parts mm -hmm. which is london town the white bear and east of the sun west of the moon so london town starts we meet hannah basically she's been thrown into a prison cell and we also get flashbacks about her life in London. After that section, she gets sentenced to transportation and the white bear is all about her time on the prison ship, mm -hmm. sending her to Australia. And then East of the Sun and West of the Moon is set in Australia once she's landed in Sydney town. And I didn't love it, Kira. Oh. A lot of this book didn't please me. Question. Yeah. Does she meet any Irish people on the transportation ship? Yes, one is mentioned. Okay, in that case, it's completely historically accurate to my understanding of 1814. <laughs> I will say it's quite a historically accurate book. Okay. Um, Wilkinson really did her research. She mentions doing her research and her acknowledgements. Uh, she mentions a lot of historical details. Some of them are invented. Hannah Cheshire, for example, yeah. was, was Wilkinson's great 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 grandmother however hannah cheshire was transported in 1790 and every other detail about her life was made up from the stories of other prisoners of transportation okay so she took the name she took the name yeah the, the ship hannah's transported on the derby ram is a complete invention but again draws heavily from the stories of the time what didn't you like about it, so? So, I think Wilkinson is trying really hard to communicate to the audience that the past was a suckish time to live, mm -hmm. particularly for young women. Yes. So, while our, while our protagonist doesn't suffer um, any sexual assault in the book, she is subject to a lot of violence and sees a lot of sexual assault and coercion, as well as just racism, classism, horrific inhumane treatment of prisoners, 
starvation, scurvy, horrible racism, mutilation, bad stuff. And a lot of it just gets tiring for me. Partially because I already know the past was a bad time. Okay. There were bad things. There were also good things. People lived their lives in both bad and good. And some people had really, really unfortunate lives. Some people had really, really fortunate lives. And this is how it has always been for all of human history. And I think pretending that only bad things happened is not as problematic as pretending only good things happened. But still reductive? But still reductive, yeah. And the other thing I really didn't like about this book was that Hannah Cheshire kind of exists as an in for the audience, but she's not an in I needed. So she doesn't start out a working class girl who Mm -hmm. committed a a crime of desperation to unfortunately get a very harsh punishment to end up being transported to Australia. She's a very well-born daughter of a very wealthy woman and a man who is a con artist. Um, So she's got private tutors, she's got servants who she treats very inhumanely, and the title of Scatterheart is meant to refer to her at the start of the book as someone who's just very thoughtless about how her actions influence everyone and that her place in society is privileged. So she's 14. It's understandable that you don't know much. But she's got a fixation on being a person of quality, capital Q, quality. And it's... The whole situation is constructed to give her those traits Mm -hmm. because a person who was working class would not have this obsession with quality. A person who was comfortably upper class would not have this obsession with quality because they would feel comfortable in the place where they are. But the author has deliberately given her this very precarious social position that makes her very obsessed with like being better than people around her and the ways in which she can compare herself to people around her and find herself better. Is she trying to return to her previous rank, if that makes sense? She basically doesn't believe anything that's happening to her because she's like, this has all been a misunderstanding. That makes sense. I will ask, do you think, so you're like this book, the in, sorry. So this book didn't really work for you, partly because you know the world and how it exists, but this book was not aimed at a person of your age Mm -hmm. um, and life experience. Do you think if you were reading it at 14, 15, 16? I wouldn't have, because at 14, I still had this personality (laughs) and there is still a snooty little justice-obsessed strange child. But I would say it might be aimed at a kid who likes the idea of living in a big nice house in London where she gets uh, floaty pink dresses and a daddy loves her very much and she gets very nice food every day and she just does a little bit of embroidery um, kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. someone who does romanticize the past in that way. But it's tiring for me. Um, I'll give you a little bit more information about how Hannah ends up in her situation though. So at the start of the book we're told there's only two men in her life. Arthur Cheshire, her Mm -hmm. father, who is a man of quality. Okay. And Thomas Bear, who is her tutor. Now her father doesn't like her tutor because he gives her books to read. Which again, it seems like a reductive thing. There's every single person in this book who mentions women's education is strongly against it. And I'm like, yes, people have those attitudes. They're worried if she learns too much, she'll end up a blue stocking. Oh, like a spinster school mistress. Okay. Like, too smart to be married off. But it's just such an annoying dichotomy that's like her father, who wants her to be pretty and useless and marry one of his business associates, and this thoughtful, bedraggled tutor boy who's 19 and is a scholarship boy at Oxford and is her love interest 
Uh, don't love that I really don't love that particularly as he's been her tutor for three years yeah so starting when he was 15, 16 and And she she was was 11 yeah but also her father wants her to marry a much older man than that Mm -hmm. so I'm like of the apparent available people to my very limited knowledge yeah he seems like the best option also if her father doesn't want her to know things why doesn't he just fire the tutor he does eventually dang so yeah it starts off the earliest flashback we get is to when she first meets thomas and it's that her nurse has just been fired for doing something that pissed off her dad and he's like she's too old for a nurse anyway she's 11 we'll get her a tutor someone who went to oxford a fancy boy he'll teach her to be fancy and he does he teaches her stories and one of the stories he tells her is east of the sun west of the moon that I will get into in a while. Um, but eventually when she's 14, he gets dismissed. All of the servants are getting dismissed one by one. It turns out Arthur Cheshire has been heavily in debt for a long, long time. And, and keeping up appearances. Keeping up appearances. So he, eventually one of his creditors demands payment and he beats up this guy and robs him, comes back to the house, gives Hannah a beautiful pair of earrings, throws some stuff in a suitcase and says, I'm going to Paris on business for a few days. You'll be okay. And And they're not okay. They're not okay. She's left alone in the house with the servants for a while. Then the servants stop turning up. And she's left alone in the house. And she's still alone in the house. Where's her mom? Her mother died when she was young. So she continues to be alone in the house and eventually she runs out of food. So she goes out to pawn a necklace and the pawnbroker is like, I'd much rather those earrings. And she says, the earrings aren't for sale. And so the pawnbroker says, this girl just stole these earrings from my shop. Ah, and so there was a misunderstanding. It's yeah. just not going to get cleared up. It's not going to get cleared up, no. And so then she is thrown into a prison cell and it is disgusting and filthy and described in intricate detail and things are just bad from there as was the fashion of the time as was the fashion of the time and we do meet some characters who i like more at this point mm-hmm. one is called long meg okay she is of ambiguous age but she's reasonably young but older than hannah she's a sex worker and petty thief she has a talent for figuring out who to charm in certain situations so that things are reasonably okay for her. We first meet her because she has just robbed Hannah's coat and the lace off Hannah's dress and all of the valuables in Hannah's pockets when Hannah woke up in the cell. Okay, cool. Because I was imagining a situation where where they were just chatting about like oh my god look at our situation and as they were doing it long meg was just like circling around her stealing all her things while hannah is oblivious to the situation but it 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 helps that she was asleep no but another character does do that (laughs) (laughs) so actually when hannah goes out to pawn things a kid picks her pocket when she because first she successfully pawns something and get some money and goes mm-hmm. to a street fair and sees dog fighting and it's a lot more oh my god look how horrible London was back in the day everything was so uncivilised and cruel and a kid who only has half of a face steals mo- all the money that she got from yeah. the pawning yeah so this kid is called Molly and she is a pickpocket she's seven and when she was very small she had a kettle of hot water spilled on her so she's got a really, really badly burnt and disfigured face. Um, but otherwise, she's a great kid. But unfortunately, society treats her really bad because she's got a visual disfigurement and she's a street um, child. Yeah, no, uh, burns from hot water is not great. I've got an aunt who knocked a kettle of hot water onto her arm when she was a small child and the entire arm is still mottled and melted looking yeah you need to do a lot of work on it and you need to do it like ongoing as you grow yeah so this kid has an unfortunate lot in life um she's also in the cell with meg and hannah there's also a character called tabby 
Tabby is a Scottish woman who speaks mostly in riddles that Hannah doesn't understand, but which... That's because she doesn't have enough life experience. She doesn't. To understand a riddle. She absolutely doesn't, but... Later in the book, does she understand the riddles? She doesn't. Oh. But what's really frustrating is Tabby will say something that's like relevant to the situation and Hannah will be like what what are you doing and Tabby will be like I'm giving you advice and Hannah will say then what's the advice and Tabby will be like clearly frustrated that she didn't listen to her advice in the first place and then she'll say something completely unrelated and Hannah's like her advice made no sense (laughs) no the advice came before you were stupid okay but yes these are the other prisoner characters Hannah has this idea that she's going to present herself really well at the trial and she's going to just say I'm Arthur Cheshire's daughter it's really unfortunate coincidence that I've ended up here but she doesn't get a chance to because she actually catches a fever while she's in the cell from someone who dies of that fever so it's a little bit off-putting and she spends a lot of this book kind of incapacitated in such a way Mm. she gets sick a few times she hits her head a few times I mean she's lived a very privileged life she hasn't been exposed to germs this is why everyone should be raised with a dog so if you are worried that you will be sent on a prison ship uh, with a high fever then you should uh, raise your children with a dog yep and (laughs) also maybe some vaccines or vaccine oh yes this is pre-vaccines. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I love vaccines. I'm such a big fan um, of vaccines. I love our listenership and I want it to continue growing. But if you're an anti-vaxxer, please stop listening. If you're an anti-vaxxer, please read the World Health Organization's website before or, you continue to listen to our podcast. Or don't. Just get your vaccines. Yeah. Thank you. Continue talking about the book. <laughs> Well, as I said, Hannah doesn't get to speak at her trial because she's feverish and hallucinating. And part of the way the book interweaves the fairy tale with Hannah's story is when she is feverish or sick or dreaming or hit her head, she has dreams about this fairy tale. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, at what point, what point do you think is a good time for me to tell you the story of East of the Sun and West of the Moon? I think now, because she is thinking of it. So, East of the Sun and West of the Moon is a story which exists in a few forms, but the version Hannah gets refers to the protagonist as Scatterheart because it's one her her tutor clearly edited a little bit to try and make her learn some moral lessons. But the basic idea is that there is a girl and she is the daughter of a man who has a lot of children and can't look after them all. And one day a big white bear comes up and says, if you give me your daughter to be my bride, I will make sure your family is wealthy and well cared for and happy forever. And the father says, yes, of course. And the daughter says, no. And so the bear comes back the next week and says, have you thought about it? And the daughter says, okay, I'll, I'll come with you, but um, I'm only staying for a year. And the bear says, that's fine. So he takes her away to his castle. And in some versions of the story, there's a room she's not meant to go into. In some versions, there's a garden she's not meant to go into. In In some versions, there's a rose under a glass that she's not supposed to touch. (laughs) That is a story that takes from East of the Sun, West of the Moon. Beauty and the Beast was a story that was written by a French woman in like the... 18 or 1700s but this is like an ancient Norwegian folktale yeah so it inspired it good parallel that's what I was getting to you drew drew a parallel good job Um, but my favourite version by which I mean the weirdest version that's creepiest is one where every night when she goes to sleep uh, after she puts the candle out a guy crawls into her bed and just sleeps next to her and and then in the morning goes away again and she never sees him because it's always after she's put the candle out. I hate that version. It's bad, yeah. But in the version Thomas, Thomas Bear, her tutor tells her, there's a garden she's not meant to go into, but she's very bored, she's very lonely, there's not much to do. And so one day she opens the door and she sees a beautiful garden all made of ice. And as she breathes on it, it starts to melt 
but she's too enchanted at how beautiful it is to really notice the impact of her actions and she sees a beautiful blue fruit and she eats it and the entire castle and garden melts around her and the bear is like oh no I was cursed if you could have just put up with this weird thing that was happening for a year my stepmother's curse would have lifted and we could have been married but now I must go marry a horrible troll in a castle that's east of the sun and west of the moon and the princess says but I love you so much can I come with you can I follow you how can I find you he says I'm going to be at the castle east of the sun and west of the moon you're going to need to find me there there and there's a rather repetitious part as fairy tales often have where first she meets a hag who says I don't know the way to this castle but Mm -hmm. I think my sister does um I do know that you're going to arrive late or never here's an acorn and then the other sister is like the same and the third sister says the same thing except I think the east wind might be able to help you so she has three acorns and she goes to the east wind's house and the east wind says I don't think I can help you but my brother the west wind might be able to help you ride on my back goes to the west wind west wind says I can't help you but maybe my brother can goes to the south wind south wind says I don't think I can but my brother the oldest and best of the winds who definitely knows more than any of the rest of us so maybe we should have started there the north wind can help you (sighs) and the north wind agrees he says I've been to that castle one time I blew an aspen leaf there but it tired me out so much that I wasn't able to like blow anything for several days it's so far away but if it's very important to you to go I'll bring you and he brings her and this is as much of the story as Hannah remembers Mm -hmm. and she forgets how it ends and in the second half of her voyage she's trying to tell Molly the story story to cheer her up and she instead invents lots of different versions of happy ever afters they have and this is because the rest of the story isn't thematically appropriate for the, the story that's happening because it involves tasks and blah, 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 blah. But that's basically the idea. So Tabby and Molly and Long Meg are the three sisters. Um, there are male characters who symbolize the North, the South, East and West winds. And basically the idea is that she rejected Thomas because after... Her father went missing. Thomas did turn up to the house and say, your father's not coming back. If he comes back to London, he'll be hanged. So you're not safe here. I'm going to join the Navy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll marry you. And it won't be great. And I know you're a bit young to be married, but it'll keep you safe. And we can be happy together. Steady paycheck. Yeah. And she rejects him because he's poor and she's rich. And, and because her father is coming back. And because her father is coming back. But I'm like, oh, that was a mistake. I mean, by today's standards, don't get married at 15 to your 19-year-old tutor. 14. Don't get married at 14 to your 19-year-old tutor. But also, if someone in the eight, early 1800s shows up and is like, hey, we should have a marriage of convenience while I'm at sea, you can have a steady paycheck and also keep all your jewellery. I'm marrying that boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then when he's in his mid-twenties and I'm in my early twenties, maybe we can see about making a baby. Maybe. Yeah. But maybe he can just stay on the water for a long time. Also, Thomas is a good guy because he's the only one who thinks that girls should have books. I think that I'm going to marry Thomas. Ooh, interesting choice. Because I love books. I'm going to tell you Meg's story. Okay. So Meg starts off clearly being kind of a bad guy. She's stolen from our protagonist. But the next thing she does is a very reckless act of kindness for Mm -hmm. Hannah, which is as they're getting transported from the prison to the ship, someone is like, this girl is too sick. She can't come on the boat. We have to send her back to the prison. And Meg says, no, 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 it's just her period. (laughs) She's always like this. She'll be fine in a day or two bring her out to the boat it's all right we'll take care of her and so hannah isn't separated from the only people who give a shit about her and also the like boats are not hygienic places uh but 
they are probably cleaner than prison cells. Yeah, there's some really lurid descriptions of the prison cells where, like, there's just a bucket in the corner for them all to piss and shit in. There's, like, a... a a bucket of bread scraps is thrown in in the morning and that's all the food they have the bucket of water and that's the whole thing don't everyone like it everyone has fever everyone has lice there isn't enough beds for everyone the floor is filthy greasy yeah yeah i think bad. that meg did the right thing mm-hmm. saying that it was her her time mm-hmm. and that and that that's why she was so sick. Yeah. Meg's a really good character. She's an, she's there to portray how people need to do horrible things to work in this society. Because she hates the sailors. She hates the jailers. She's very vocal about this. And yet she keeps sleeping with them and flirting with them and trading sa- favours with them. And Hannah doesn't understand this and it's like if you hate them so much why do you let them touch you and Meg's like you do what you can to survive (laughs) like also she's the only one who has the foresight to mark on the bench above her bed how many days it's been so she is the one who keeps count of that but unfortunately Meg has a strong sense of justice Mm -hmm. and there is a doctor on the ship who has syphilis Ah. And he is known in London among the sex workers for being very, very ungentlemanly like for being very willing to spread his syphilis around and around with people who don't know that he has it. But now he has it to such a degree that his face is disfigured. Yeah. And he's got some very bad, grotesque features because of it. And he immediately latches on to Molly, the seven-year-old, because he thinks if he can cure her deformity, he'll find a way to cure his own deformity. So he gives her special treats and favours in return to experimenting medically on her. I hate this man. He's real bad. And Meg hates him too. Mm -hmm. So one night in the middle of the night... Meg wakes up Hannah. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking one fine day in the middle of the night? Or yeah. Yeah, yeah. She wakes up Hannah and she says, We need to go find Molly. Uh, they find Molly in the doctor's lab and he's putting a maggot in her skin. Like, under her skin? Yeah, but on her arm. So that it will, like, crawl? Yeah. Underneath? Yeah. She's oh, a baby. I hate that. It's really bad. I don't know how to do the content warnings for this. I kind of want to put all of them in. Ooh. So Meg immediately is like, like jumps on the doctor and starts attacking him and tells Hannah to go run for the captain. But Hannah doesn't. And instead she runs for James. Who's who James? Is one of the sailors who, when he heard who Hannah was, said, Oh gosh, of course. You've been brought here by some kind of mistake. You're oh, a woman no. of quality. He's I'm a also con a man. man of quality. Apparently, he is an heir to a fortune, but he's not able to get access to that fortune until he's done a few years of working because his father made this fortune selling buttons and making buttons. And also, he has to be married. So he has decided for some reason that... Hannah is the one that he thinks will he... fulfill the the prophecy of the will. Yeah, and I really don't understand why he's into her. Uh, because she's naive and young and of quality. Mm, mm. But he... It's strange to me to think that anyone would actually internalise that set of beliefs about how the world works. Like, people did and do, but... Like, even he knows her dad was a con man, so she wasn't really, like, a lady. Except her mother was a woman with money, I guess. So that might count. But definitely, in this book, a lot of characters are attracted to this 14-year-old girl. And it's not commented upon as strange or unusual. And that's definitely my least favourite part of the book. Like, all of the other stuff aside, this is... Not only is it grotesque, it's also historically inaccurate. Yeah, no. 
Pedophilia was frowned upon for thousands of years. Having sex with children is bad. Yeah. And is not common. And while people have an idea sometimes that it was common to marry young in the past, it wasn't. The average age of marriage for people who got to freely decide who they married was about 18 to 20. And the younger marriages, which were often done they were, for political gain. And they mostly were like symbolic. They were symbolic. It was like, we've written a contract. My 14 year old will marry your 13 year old. And we might marry them at 15 so that the contract cannot be voided. But they won't actually like live together until they're 20. of age. Yeah. Which um, was 21. 21 yeah. was of age. So this is a very young girl who again she gets her first period on the boat and um it and meg helped her out t- teaches her about it and that's a nice because meg is a very nice character who cares a lot about people and won't stand aside to see injustice happen so she gets punished a lot she ends up in the brig a lot at one point um to make a show of her one of the sailors like puts a big barrel over her and is like dance and she's like oh I'd prefer not to and he's like dance and so then she does like a big humorous bit about how she's eternal and she gets someone to throw her a top hat and she makes all these jokes and then like later on Hannah sees that like her body's all bruised from like where the barrel was hitting against her and stuff and she was like why did you keep dancing and she was like you gotta do what you gotta do. Yes, her whole thing. Um, but unfortunately... By going to James? She dies. So oh, Meg dies? Meg dies, yeah. So Hannah, instead of going to the captain, goes to James. And James is like, okay, of course, we'll take care of it. And he goes to take care of it. And, his, and Molly and Hannah go away. And the next day, they do another piece of historical accuracy is the sailors do a very strange ritual when they pass the equator and the girls are all meant to remain below deck for it but Hannah peeks and she sees that the coat Meg had stolen from her is on one of the sailors who's dressed up as a woman for the ritual and she can't find Meg anywhere and she finds James and she asks him and he says oh she's in my room resting she'll be back tomorrow and he's when Hannah goes to check she's not there he's in the doctor's surgery the doctor had experimented on her until she died and um, Hannah still at this point trusts James and trusts the concept of a person of higher birth being better than a working class person and still trusts all of the things she's been taught and it's very long and slow before she gets those blinkers taken away and it's very frustrating for me to read. Does anything else happen on the ship? Yeah. Uh, of note. Hannah murders the doctor. Yes! Yeah. Yes! <laughs> Murder a doctor! She does. It's really good. So Molly, the child, mm-hmm. is scared one night when there's a big storm happening and she wants to run up on deck and this is after Meg has died and none of the girls will talk about Meg anymore because they know they'll get in trouble if they do Uh, but Molly runs up onto the ship onto the top of the ship because she's scared of the storm and she wants to see it and Hannah runs after her and the doctor is up there and the doctor is like then tries to kidnap Molly again to do more of his experiments on like because there's a moment where the doctor's like give me it what will you give me if I give you this child? And she said, I'll give you anything. And so he gives her the child back. And then he says, great, great. She, she's going to live with me now because he rescued the kid. And she's like, no. And she pushes him off the deck into the storm. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. There's it's not even good. any blood on her hands. No. no. No crime scene to cover up. None at all. Back in the 1800s, you could just murder people by throwing them off a ship while no one else was around. There was one other person around. It was, was James. Was it James? Yeah. It was James. Who God still wants to James. marry her. It's so annoying. And she's like, I don't like you very much. Tell me about Meg. And he's like calling Meg a bunch of terrible slurs and saying that Hannah shouldn't be spending time with these women and she's like but I'm imprisoned with them we don't have much choice 
She ends up in the brig for a while. She ends up getting her hair shaved off as punishment for biting James when he visits her in the brig and like tries to stick his hands through the bars at her. And the captain is the one time we really hear the captain speak outside of like the constraints of propriety. He's like, thought you and James were sweethearts. And Hannah's like, we are not. And he's like, okay, you know, I should really get you flogged for this. And she's like, fine. And he's like, cause like, I can't have criminals around just biting my officers. It looks really bad. Just shave her hair, I guess. Put her on half rations. <laughs> Shame her by cutting her hair. But not ripping her skin open. I mean, I'm glad that she didn't have her skin ripped open. But I'm also like, why are you such a misogynist that you're like, it will be worse for a woman to have her hair cut short than to be publicly flogged? No, he's very much going easy on her deliberately because ah. he is on her side in this situation. My apologies. Yeah. <laughs> captain. Oh, Captain. <laughs> when she gets to Sydney, she is brought... The transport ships as punishment. When you got there, you were free, right? The punishment was was the banishment. No. No? Okay. So when she gets to Sydney, they actually get off the ship and onto a barge and they go to a town called Parramatta, mm-hmm. where people are separated out. Um, Molly is taken away to a orphanage because she's too young to work. Yes. A lot of the women are taken to be servants on farms. Mm-hmm. And anyone who is unmarried and unfit for service is brought to the female factory. Hannah gets brought there because someone asks her what her crime was and she says, nothing, I've done nothing wrong. She's dubbed too mouthy to be allowed to continue to be around people. So she's brought to the factory where we've got more very historically accurate, horrific things. To be honest though, if she was like, I stole from a pawn shop, they probably also wouldn't have let her be a maid in people's houses. Probably not, no, but she'd have been able to work on the land or something. That's true. Yeah. So her and Tabby are now the only ones she knows there. And there's all sorts of gross things that happens. There's a lot of sex work in a very, like, pressured way. Obviously, these women have very little going for them, very little power and option. But one of the things that happens is every, I think it's Sunday... Uh, they all have to line up outside of the factory and any young men who are interested in them or old men for that for that matter walk up and down the line and will drop a handkerchief in front of a woman who he's interested in and if she's interested in him she picks up the handkerchief and then she can go freely with him to get married or to have the sex essentially it counts as a marriage cool 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 Mm. so the at least she has the option of picking it up or leaving it down yeah so the false hope that hannah's clinging to now is that someone will drop a handkerchief no instead of hoping that everything will go back to normal and she'll go back to london she's now hoping that thomas who did mention becoming a a naval officer and moving to New South Wales might be around sometime, might come, might drop his handkerchief, might have been waiting when she got off the boat, might have been waiting when she got off the barge, might just come one day and welcome her from the factory. Does he? She hears rumours. That there is a Thomas from London somewhere? One of the things she mentions that gets her thrown in the factory is that she asks a man if he knows about an officer, Thomas Bear, and the man looks at her strangely and said, there's no officer of that name. And she hears all sorts of rumors about a man who fell in love with a convict woman. Mm-hmm. And when someone gave her lashes, he murdered that man. Then the story also mutates that he was hung because he got an officer's wife pregnant. And then there's other ones where he was a cannibal. Just all sorts of stories about this officer who maybe ran away to live in the wilderness, maybe got killed, definitely killed at least one person, maybe murdered a prisoner who he was in love with because she cheated on him. 
and the best version of the story she gets, the one that she likes the most. <laughs> I love her hearing all of these rumors and being like, this is the one I'll believe. I'll take this one from the shelf, thank you. Yeah, the one where he's living in the wilderness <laughs> and might come help her. <laughs> I mean, you gotta have hope. And then one Saturday, a guy turns up who she recognizes and it's James. Oh no. And he drops a handkerchief on the ground and she's like, go away, James. And he's like, I've got a house. I want you to marry me. I'll get my inheritance. You can have all your nice things again. We'll be fine. And she says, I'm not going to. And then he drops something else on the ground and it's Thomas's broken glasses. And she sa- he says, he's dead. Come on. And so she goes with him. Aww. And she has a shitty time at his house. But then Molly turns up and Molly's like, and Molly's like, we need to figure out how the story ended. We need to find Mr. Bear and we will all live happily ever after. So they do, they run off into the wilderness and they follow a road that's being built and they hear more stories until they eventually find Thomas himself. And he says the version of the story is true is that he was asked to whip a woman who'd done nothing wrong in his eyes and instead he cracked the whip so that it cracked very loudly just above her back Mm -hmm. and he hoped that she'd realize what he was doing and like pretend she was in pain but she didn't so she was then stripped and it was seen that she had no marks on her so then his captain like took the whip and like gave her double as many lashings spray naked and Thomas saw the look of the, in this man's eyes as he did it and he was very happy and he was like thrilled that he got to be this violent to someone so Thomas went and got drunk and he murdered this guy in his house and then just walked out of town nice yeah you know what I'm still team Thomas I'm team Thomas when I said earlier that of the men, uh, having only heard of one of them, I would marry Thomas. You gave me a look, and I was like, oh no, I've picked a bad option. But now I'm like, no, I picked well. I mean, Your it's a reason- little surreal that he showed up again, but it's also a novel, and therefore these things happen. Your reason for picking him was that it would be a good and comfortable place in society. This book ends with the three characters living in wilderness together. That's true. But I would be allowed to have books. That is true. Thomas did bring books with him. (laughs) I've murdered a man and I'm walking into the wilderness. Wait. I don't need food or clothing or any provisions. I just need seven books and a backpack. Essentially, yeah. And Hannah turns up and is like, well, I've also murdered a man. It's fine. We can be, we can be murder wives mm-hmm. and husbands with our child that we adopt that is half my age. Yep. Yep. And a third of his. Yep. <laughs> yes, that is exactly it. James does turn up on a horse and is like, fuck you guys. And he then like tries to beat up Hannah and... Molly is like do something and Thomas does eventually in a very like he doesn't want to do a violence and we're meant to see how he's such a morally pure character because he doesn't want to do a violence he just did a murder well he did a murder several weeks ago but we only just heard about the murder but he's like I don't want to do a violence to prevent someone hurting my wife he was so unwilling to do a violence but he did that he did a murder yeah previously yeah because someone hurt a woman that he had no connection to yeah I'm so like when he was displaying this unwillingness to attack James and it is very much like it's in the heat of the moment I was like is this to leave room for Hannah to kill him and thus get her own revenge on someone who like killed her friend was a domestically abusive husband in the like few weeks they were married was it so that Molly could kill him and then they could be a true murder family no it was so that (laughs) Thomas could eventually save her but also feel bad about it but also be a moral love interest fair I don't like this book and there's very little I can say about it Mm -hmm. that 
I think is worth saying. Do you have how does the fairy tale end? Do so, they do they just write their own ending or does it have an actual ending? Um, they write their own ending, but the fairy tale does have an actual ending. Um, tell, tell me what it is, and then we'll do highlights. So, in the story, when they find the castle east of the sun and west of the moon, mm-hmm. the prince is betrothed tr- to a horrible troll woman who is the daughter of the woman who cursed him, and he is meant to marry her soon. And what the the gifts that she gets from the women are acorns, and they all turn into beautiful various things. And what the protagonist, who doesn't have a name in they in this version, they call her Scatterheart because it's a different version. But she like plays with like oh, this golden apple I have, and like this golden loom I have, and this golden harp I have, in like free vision of the princess of the castle and the princess of the castle says what will you give me or what can I pay you for you to give me this apple this loom this harp and every time the protagonist says you can't buy it from me with money and the princess says well then what can I buy it for and the girl says one night with your husband and she like gets to go to his room and like try wake him and try talk to him but he won't wake up because the princess gave him a sleepy drink and eventually just before the third night uh other christian people who'd been kidnapped by this princess Mm -hmm. are like we keep hearing this woman crying in your room every night and calling your name can you guys like keep it down (laughs) (laughs) and the prince is like a when woman, you say? Interesting. So he doesn't take the sleepy drink the next time. And he talks to the girl and he's like, I found a loophole in this contract. There's this shirt which is stained from a stain you put on it, depending on what version of the story we talk about. Yeah. So it's either the fruit or another version is um, she lit a candle to see what the guy looked like mm-hmm. and she dropped three drops of tallow on it. And he said, I'm going to say I will only marry the woman who can clean this shirt. Only Christian people can. These trolls can't do it. So this troll tries to and she makes it worse. And all of the trolls in the kingdom try to and they make it worse. And he's like, I'm only going to marry the woman who can clean this shirt. And she cleans the shirt and they get to get married and live happily ever after. Beauty and the Beast meets Cinderella. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for telling me that fairy tale over the course of the pod. My... I would say my main criticism of this and Mm -hmm. it's like a longer broader criticism of the book is that the author is struggling with portraying characters in a society that is problematic okay this is a society that's like got unjust hierarchies in it and these characters are to varying degrees aware of these hierarchies and to varying degrees they participate in them but she wants her characters to be moral and relatable to a modern audience so she feels like at the end she has to completely remove them from the society mm. for them to be morally just. But there's also side characters in the novel and real people in history who were positioned slightly differently and therefore managed to function in society and make society better while living in a bad society that they both benefit from and are disadvantaged from. Like there's a doctor in this called Dr. Redfern who James brings Hannah to when they're technically married and just to see like is she fertile will I be able to have a kid and this doctor is based on a real person who was a convict and was brought to Australia and served his time and got freed and became a practicing doctor and was good at medicine and there's a suburb of Sydney named after him you could have borrowed from that history to build these characters instead of only borrowing from the very worst things that happen to people. Okay. I don't know. I've, I've That's a different book though. Yeah. But what you're saying is you wanted to read a different book. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've read books that try to do the same thing but do it better. Okay. I've read books about women in times where women have nearly no rights. Um but they still get happiness because people did. If you were a maid who was working dawn to dusk for a family who treated you as worse than dirt, 
you still got moments of happiness. Like, shit was bad. But does she not get moments of happiness? Like, when she's talking to Meg and telling stories to Molly and, like, are there not moments when things are okay? Not really, no. I mean, there's one comes to mind where she's in the brig, so, like, imprisoned below deck where all the animals are, but they stop in Cape Town to take on new food and water and Molly brings her a mango and she's never had a mango before and she's like oh my god it tastes so good but like that's basically it okay I mean she's going through a hard like she's also in prison yeah yeah she's in a bad situation as well as Wilkinson acknowledging the horrors of the past and then trying to get her characters out of it by literally removing them from society Mm -hmm. she also shows us insight into the lives of early Australian settlers by showing us like a mud hut with like an extremely poor family with dozens of children who are living right on the edge of civilization in a farming land that they have no idea how to manage so she literally shows you like the kind of future these characters can expect and how bad and awful it is Mm -hmm. and that's yeah and yet still is saying that this is basically the best they can hope for okay that's not great no it's not um but they do have native characters none of them really get to speak in that some of them try to speak to hannah but she doesn't understand what they're saying Mm -hmm. and one woman gets to look very disparagingly at uh some white people which is nice because hannah's like wow everyone talks with such disgust of these natives but maybe they're also disgusted with us that's basically the whole reference to indigenous Australians in the book don't love that no okay okay any any highlights the mango the occasional characters who are aware of the problems in their society and critical of them so Dr. Redfern Mm -hmm. uh, who like like he talks to Hannah and Hannah and he's like, are you happy? Are you happy in your marriage? And she's like, no, I hate it. And he's like, is James aware of this? And she's like, yeah, but he doesn't give a shit about the problems and complaints of some convict. And he's like, hey, I was also a convict. We're still people who deserve lives and stuff. Um, Long Meg as well is a great character who's aware of her circumstances and has to make compromises to participate in the society she's in but still gets to do good Mm -hmm. Uh, the captain of the ship as well as much as he's a minor character shows that he's critical of the society and does what good he can in his position while still being constrained by his obligations to the privileges he has cool those are the highlights i'd say is those little moments when you do get humanity yeah and the vision of what this book would be like if it wasn't just about a 14 year old spoiled girl you should read um siobhan parkinson's amelia and then siobhan parkinson's amelia again i think i have read it because those are also about a spoiled rich girl but in dublin Mm, (laughs) um and in the 1900 early 1900s i think Mm -hmm. um anything else to say I'm trying side to see lights. what I've got my lowlights and sidelights as. I've got nothing written down for sidelights, but I guess... Like, I can't even say that I like how they interwove the fairy tale because they chose a version of the fairy tale I don't like, removed the interesting bits and chopped off the ending. Fair enough. Um, there's some nice descriptions of the Australian wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, when Hannah and Molly leave Hannah's house and to have to travel on this road that's being built to try find Thomas. They they see mountains, they see lands. A lot of them are descriptions of Australian flora and fauna from the point of view of people who have no idea what they're looking at. So like, this horrible tree seems to be bleeding. This bird looks kind of like a magpie, but it sings so sweetly. Oh, no. This other beautiful bird that's like a dove, and then it opened its mouth and made the most horrific sound we'd ever seen. Like, I dislike this. At one point, they see, I think, a porcupine-type creature, and they like literally fall over laughing <laughs> because it's so funny. I mean, they are very funny looking. Yeah. Um, this is it's... also where they meet the bushfire, the remains of the bushfire. It's interesting that a person who lives and is from Australia 
wrote a book that ends in Australia, but then also just mostly is just like, I have to describe Australia as if you've never seen Australia. Yeah. It's interesting and... Doesn't doesn't work for you? No, I did quite like it. And towards the end of the book, when Hannah is experiencing these things, she's getting a little bit less insufferable. So she's describing things like how the people who are obsessed with who is and isn't a convict and who isn't and isn't... Like, this is far along into the history of Australia that there are people who are adults who were born from people who are convicts who were sent over, served their time, were freed, got to set up businesses and farms and have free children. And these people are now adult participants in society. Mm-hmm. Like we're this far into the history of Australia, but people are really fixated on class and heritage and who's the child of people who came over freely and who's the child of people who came over imprisoned. Um, so that would I, I'd say would be another highlight-ish I would love this book if it was set all in Australia, I think. If it was focused on a character who was, however they ended up committing a crime, being imprisoned, being on the prison boat, when they get to Australia, adjusting to Australia, even some of the horrendous things that happen in the factory where Hannah is, I think I would be able to put up with more if it was also about someone adjusting and doing that transition but for a greater period of time Mm. the bulk of this book is set on the ship um so there's the three stages but the longest one is definitely the the ship and it's just i am trapped on a boat things that are bad are happening all of the time fair my big time low light though is going to be all of these adult characters who are attracted to a 14 year old girl yeah because while i may criticize as i said earlier i criticize a lot of the misery porn the people who are just like it's a portrayal of a lot of the suffering people had to go through in the past without rounding it out with any of the joys that were available to them Mm -hmm. it's bad to portray adult men being attracted to a 14 year old girl without in any way being critical of it yep particularly when it is a 14 year old girl they have known since she was 11 that is not normal and it is not good to be attracted to someone who is prepubescent and to act on that attraction is immoral and particularly in a book aimed at people in that age group it is irresponsible because it normalizes the idea that an adult who is attracted to you and wants you to get with them despite you being a young teenager can be a good guy they can't guys it's a bad bad news it's a yeah it's a bad time yeah bad news don't hey guys um if you're 14 or and also if you're not 14 please impress this upon 14 year olds in your lives an adult who wants to date you does not have your best interests at heart and probably they're lying to you yeah yeah like i think of the men available in this book thomas probably was her best option but only because it seems like she would not be able to do it on her own and i hope that in the extended cut of this book that doesn't exist and by that I mean sequel she murders him in her his sleep once she learns how to manage a farm <laughs> and then continues to manage a farm with Molly in Thomas's defense other than asking her to marry him he does give no indication that he's attracted to her James like hits on her multiple times and like tries to make things happen but Hannah actually never kisses anyone or sleeps with anyone. At a certain point, she is driven to offering sexual favors for information, but the person she offers them to is kind of like, this is such a fucked up place I'm living. I wish this wasn't happening. Please go away, child. I will give you the information you want. 
I like that person. Yeah. He's a good dude. <laughs> He's like, this poor land makes thieves of people who are never thieves and just is bad. Yeah. Cool. Um, thank you all for listening. You don't have anything to say about I this I have book? nothing to say about this <laughs> book that I have not already said. Yeah. Um, our next episode will be in two weeks mm-hmm. when I will be reading... I'm not sure. I'm caught between a couple of books, but it will definitely feature uh, a queer romance because both books feature that. Um, One features magic and the other uh, features pen pals to lovers. I like that. Yeah. Um, Uh, So we'll have to see. It's a surprise. Watch the Twitter. (laughs) I feel like I need to apologize to Lily Wilkinson who was just trying to write a nice historical book which was accurate to the history of the place where she's from but which I can't stomach because she's trying to make people have empathy for people who suffered in the past. Um, you also need to apologise to everyone on Goodreads who gave it four and five stars because it has an average rating of four stars. So Yeah, I read some of the Goodreads reviews and they were like, wow, what a compelling protagonist what an interesting narrator and I was like where (laughs) where is she compelling please give me the book where she's compelling so I can read that one instead I'm so sorry that I picked this one for you it's Um, alright Molly was nice the seven year old if you want Aoife to read books that I have not picked for her that she doesn't um, dislike the protagonist of then you should hit us up on Twitter and recommend some books that's Forever YA Pod. Um, also follow us on Instagram at Forever YA Podcast. Um, and follow our Goodreads where we update what we're reading and what we'll be doing next. I'm um, doing next, other than having to edit this episode, what I'm doing next is going back to reading Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you have been like trawling through Lord of the Rings. I have been enjoying Lord of the Rings. Now that's an interesting book about <laughs> how to make moral choices in a world where there's difficulties. Um, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. Do you have anything else to say? No, that's pretty much it. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you have opinions on this book... Do let us know on the social medias that Kira told you about. And if you're Lily Wilkinson, I'm sure your other books are great. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Forever Young Adults. At the podcast where we review books. Hey, the outro music has happened and you're still here. I think you want to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us there at Forever YA Pod. And on Instagram at Forever YA Pod. You can also email us at Forever YA Pod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at Forever YA Pod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.